0: Hey, Immigrantly family, welcome back to another episode with your host, me, Saadia Khan. Before introducing our fantastic guest, I must tell you about this beautiful podcast episode I listened to. Although I usually listen to indie podcasts, I recently stumbled on the Unlocking Us with Brene Brown episode with actress-producer Viola Davis. I'll be honest with you, this episode basically blew my mind away. It touched on Viola's lived experiences in an almost poetic yet relatable way. Viola talks about many facets of human conditioning from vulnerability and strength to doubt and self-awareness. I kid you not, towards the end of the episode, I had tears. I took a deep breath and I sat down with my thoughts, replaying the conversation in my mind. And yes, it's true, so often I have negotiated with myself about what parts of my identity I should share with the world and what pieces I should keep private and what does representing self look like and what form has it taken over the years. So my suggestion to all of you is to listen to this episode. You won't be disappointed. Talking about today's conversation, although not entirely the same, It also highlights highly pertinent information about how we care for ourselves right here and right now during a period of extreme pressures and stimuli. Taking time for oneself to recharge and reconsider some of the relationships and activities we engage in isn't self-indulging. Instead, mental health and well-being are part and parcel of our capacity to stay involved, advocate for ourselves and others, and be functioning, thriving human beings.
1: I want to use my platform to actually show that you can struggle with your mental health at the same time as trying your best to actually achieve
0: whatever ambitions and goals and thriving in your life. Today's guest Thea Fam will share her journey in discovering and defining what mental health means to her, how it fits in the complicated puzzle of her immigrant upbringing and why she has felt immense emotional and psychological strains being the first gen. As an accomplished biotech entrepreneur, Thea was the youngest in her class to graduate with a PhD in neuroscience at UCLA and currently works for a biotech venture capital startup in LA. She has won numerous awards for her research and was featured in the LA Business Journal's 20 entrepreneurs in their 20s. Isn't that amazing? A couple of weeks back, she received viral attention after sharing an emotional TikTok about her challenges as the daughter of Vietnamese parents. In that video, she highlighted some common expectations that fall on immigrants, such as academic excellence and financial support, but in Thea's case, they have caused guilt, mental illness and more. To be honest, I was... A bit nervous about my conversation with Thea. You see, I have a different perspective on this matter as an immigrant mother and did not want the result of our discussion to basically villainize immigrant parents. So I had to almost set aside my emotions. Simultaneously, I can understand how burdens transfer generationally and perpetuate trauma if not addressed. and I come from diametric points of view in our status as daughter and mother respectively but our dialogue was so fruitful and here's the fun part I really want you to stay after the episode to hear me unpack this conversation with our content editor and this script's writer, Yudi, who is an immigrant daughter herself. We basically chatted about the interview, basically reflecting on our expectations going into it and how we felt after listening to the tape. This is our way of expanding the conversation to the larger immigrant team. And hopefully eliciting the same in you all, our valued listeners. Hi, Pia. I am so excited that you're here with us on Immigrant.ly. How are you feeling now?
1: I'm feeling great. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah so last week we had to reschedule because you had COVID. I mean COVID is not leaving us alone. It's been what two and a half years. So how was it? I hope it was mild. It
1: was really mild. It's honestly my third time. Oh wow! (laughs) I think I collected all the strains possible. (laughs) Yeah, I have all the alphabet, but it definitely was mild.
0: That's good. That's wonderful. And today we are going to talk about parent-child dynamic. And I'll be honest with you, I am a bit nervous because I am an immigrant parent. And this topic brings up a lot of emotions for me. I am trying not to make this conversation personal or a reflection on who I am as a parent, but I'm really excited to share my experiences with you and to listen to your story, which is so important. So I want to set the stage for our listeners and first acknowledge that no immigrant story is the same. So Thea, can you share a little bit about your upbringing and what was it like growing up in Vietnam?
1: I honestly don't remember a whole lot of my childhood actually, but from what I remembered growing up in Vietnam initially, when you were young, you know, like everything was cool and everything was exciting. But I think when you start going to school and then how you compare yourself to your peers, then you started to notice a lot of differences between how you grew up or how your family is versus what my peers are. So I came from a family that had a lot of struggles. My parents struggled financially. They struggled tremendously in their relationship with each other and with, you know, all the family members as well. We moved a lot as a kid from houses to houses to apartments. And my dad has a lot of businesses and he worked really hard because it was the time when after the war and they started to reopen the borders. So he was doing electronics and then he was migrating to some manufacturing capacity. And then, you know, Chinese goods comes in and then his business can go out, went out of business. And then he mm-hmm. has to pivot it to something else. So like there's always that entrepreneurial spirit in him. But growing up, it was definitely very challenging. I still remembered the most vivid memory I had as a kid was we lived next to a Pho restaurant in one of the houses. And my mom would cook this kind of rice soup. And if you cook the rice long enough, you can really expand it. Like, it's a fistful of rice, but so you can actually make it into a full family of four. And we just eat it plain with salt. And my mom would play this game with me that, I, you know, if you go and eat in front of the fur restaurant, you can smell the fur of the beef and you imagine that you're eating meat with mm-hmm. your plain soup. And it's just like that memory is just so vivid in my head. It was just like so symbolizing of how I was growing up. It still feels like it's just yesterday.
0: Yeah, just listening to you gives me chills. It's such a profound experience that you just shared with us. But you moved to the US when you were only 15. And before I even get into what was that like, I wonder how were your parents able to make it financially possible for you to move to the US? Because visa applications and tickets and everything is so goddamn expensive so how did that come about
1: Moving to the US was actually not their dream, it's actually mine. Hmm. So I, even before that whole conversation for me, because of the financial stress and because of their relationship with each other, my parents really never gotten along well. And I remember vividly the only time that I felt happiness was whenever I bring home a really good grade. My mom would be excited, my dad would go to the market, He's like, I'm gonna buy us a treat today. So I felt like that was reprogrammed in me to like keep performing in schools. And it was a lot of pressure I put on myself. But I remembered when I was 13, I read this book. It's actually a book that was in Chinese, but translated into Vietnamese called mm-hmm. I Want to Go to Harvard for Business School. Oh, wow. And I read this journey about this girl and her mom from China. It's almost like a self-help book, honestly, about how you organize yourself, things like that. And I read that book and I was just like, I want to explore. I want to do different things. So I started having that goal and my parents thought I was insane because we could barely afford even simple like new clothes. But I applied for so many different scholarships and I keep working at it. I ended up getting a full-ride scholarship to a high school in the U.S. here. And like you mentioned, ticket, visa, issues, everything was like so expensive. So my mom sold some of her wedding jewelry to afford those tickets and... I came to the U.S. literally with $100 in my pocket that my mom gave to me at the airport. To like one of the dichotomy, which is like thinking back, which is so odd because the high school that I went to, they paid for full tuition, room and board, everything. It was a really rich high school. The tuition Mm. was like $60,000. I felt so privileged to actually go there. My classmates were one of the richest kids from one of the richest family in America. And here I am just like not knowing both the culture and everything. And I barely had any money. And, you know, like when you go to a different countries, even for high school, even if they pay for everything. There's still so much things
0: that came out. So what were some of the challenges or difficulties that you remember?
1: So there was so much. Honestly, that period of my life were exciting, but at the same time, so scary. I came from 90 degree tropical weather in Vietnam to like, in the middle of nowhere, New England. Right. And it was like two hours away from the closest town, which was Boston. And it was just like, my English was good, but not that good. I was culture shock. I was homesick. I was cold. I didn't have a winter coat. Like my mom bought me the winter coat from a secondhand jacket in Vietnam. And honestly, that was not enough for a new winter. And there was so much. I didn't realize how much additional Expenses that needed to come. Yeah. Things as simple as basketball shoes. Absolutely. So my mom bought me a knockoff Converse from the money that I earned working in a summer in Vietnam. And I got kicked out of JV basketball because the coach was like, you need a basketball shoes. So like your converse going to, I don't know, like scratch the court or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like he told me like three times. And I remember looking up online, so it's like 60 bucks for a basketball shoes. And I converted that to Vietnam currency and that ended up being like millions or so. And i was just like, that's like my whole family's
0: month earning. Right. I can't possibly do that. So there was just so much cultural shock there. You know, you bring up so many important points. It highlights, I guess, American society's lack of knowledge when it comes to the challenges that the process of coming to the U.S. entails. And the system itself is mostly geared towards people who are economically privileged or are able to work through the system financially and physically. Thea, in terms of your relationship with your parents, you've talked a little bit about their dynamic, which wasn't great. And there were a lot of other challenges within your family, economic being one of the most prominent that you have mentioned. But I am curious to know, how was your relationship with your parents as a kid? And did it change at all when you moved to the U.S.?
1: I don't think so. I think my parents were always very, very strict on me from both a cultural standpoint, but also they were very religious as well. I was raised Catholic. It was very clear, I think from the beginning, as long as I remember that there was a lot of expectations that they have on me, which is understandable given how much they wanted a lot for themselves and their lives when they were growing up. And because of the circumstances, a lot of that became mine. So I am their hopes and their dreams and everything. And my whole life goal for as long as I could remember was to make them proud.
2: Hmm. I
1: would do anything in my power to make them proud. And I think when I won that scholarship to the school, That was, I think, one of the happiest things I've ever seen them. But at the same time, I remembered they vividly told me that you cannot come back here. You have to make it there. There's no way back. You just have to make it there at all costs. Don't even bother coming home if you don't get into a college with scholarship. And I understand where they're coming from, but honestly, that pressure was not helpful for my mental health. I didn't have a good handle on my emotional regulation or my mental health, especially when you go through teenage years in different places. I think after high school, well, the high school experience, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the story, but I became very depressed in high school my senior year. And I stopped going to classes. I stopped. Towering. It just, I had to apply for colleges and I felt like I couldn't. I was so fearful of failing and I was so fearful of disrespecting or be ashamed to my parents if I failed that I would just froze. I felt like I froze in time for a semester and the lack of mental health awareness, the stigmatization, even with a very well-equipped school was tremendous mm. because I didn't go to classes, they suspended me. It was such a big shock to both myself and to basically the whole system, Hmm. to myself, to my family. The aftermath was not pretty when I was suspended and had to go home. To be honest, there was a lot of resentment on their side because I thought for the whole time that I was lazy. Like, why couldn't I go to class? Why couldn't I get out of bed? Like, why? What happened? And I think they didn't understand that either, yeah. so the whole time both party blame myself was like I was just lazy, like I was still so dysfunctional, I was lazy, and that went on for a fair amount of two years when I was home. but also my dad was sick during that time. I ended up finding a job that I love at a nonprofit there that I was a project manager. I ended up coming back to the u s for college again on mm. tuition, but Those two years really scarred me and it really strained my relationship with them. I didn't blame them for any of that, but at the same time, it was really heart-wrenching to see that when I failed or when I need help, the help wasn't there. It was just resentment.
0: You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking there's no right or wrong in this, right? It's different perspectives. It's different vantage points you are going through this trauma and your parents are unable to understand because they are projecting their hopes and dreams, their expectations onto you. And sometimes when that happens, it's difficult for parents and kids to plow through and have an open communication. My circumstances, my kids' circumstances are very different, but I can see Instances or glimpses of what you're talking about, there have been numerous times when I've probably projected my expectations and even insecurities onto them. And I have these sometimes unsurmountable expectations from them being an immigrant parent in the context of what I have sacrificed for them. So it's a very hard place to be in. And it's almost impossible for somebody who is not in that space. To understand that dynamic between a parent and an immigrant kid. And that's why people are fast to judge, right? Yeah. So let's fast forward to last month when you posted this TikTok video about how intensely pained you felt about your parents and your relationship with them, the burden of being the financial provider, and expectations that you would send your sibling to school. And there were a lot of expectations, this being one. parents, specifically Vietnamese parents, I got disowned by my parents just now
1: because I refused to fund my sister's lavish lifestyle when she's here in the U.S. as an international student. They sent her here three years ago knowing that they don't have the means to pay for it themselves. So the responsibility for her tuition, her room and board, her living expenses has been on me as the eldest sister in the family.
0: And she has been completely ungrateful and completely. Tell me, why did you decide to money. share this publicly? Was there a specific debt that conversation, event that acted as a tipping point for you? Well,
1: first of all, this struggle with my parents never
0: really ended.
1: Hmm. Um, I continue even after I went to get my doctoral degrees, get a job, get to a level of financial stability. That struggle is still there. The core of our relationship hasn't really changed. I'm always their little girl and I'm never truly mature enough. And I love them to death. And I know they love me to death. But I think because I'm a third culture kid now, I spent my whole young adult in America. There's certain expectations of cultural identities and different ideals it's just like there's a lot of additional clashes
0: you've basically evolved as a human right your exactly. expectation and your interaction with them has changed the dynamic of respect disrespect expectation has evolved and probably they haven't caught up with it because they are physically removed from you do you think that has at least contributed to that tension between you and your parents
1: Absolutely. And I think not only did I matured, but I also actively got myself in therapy a couple years ago. And that was like the best decision I've ever made. I fixed my mental health. I became more aware of certain things and also see the same evolutions with my parents to a certain extent, like Hmm. things that my sister got away with, like I don't (laughs) think think I would have gotten away with. So there definitely became certain ways. But I think the gaps was just a little bit too far to bridge. And on top of that, there's the cultural angle, and there's just so much of me learning all of this emotional regulation the boundary works from an american perspective and that clashes so big with the vietnamese and the asian american perspective so there was a lot of that i always was happy to provide for my family mm-hmm. i've done it for as long as i remember and i took that with a lot of pride to help out my family that's also always a goal of mine whenever I get a job I want to help out my family I want to take care of them I want to really pay back what was given to me because I know they struggle a lot and I want to carry that torch going forward but I think the challenges for me especially in that conversation was honestly I felt like the expectation is always there. It's like, this is your responsibility. I felt unheard. I felt very unheard and I felt the pressure never lets off and it's never a consideration of my side of the story. So when financial things happen with my sister, she's young, so she's a bit irresponsible financially. And when I brought the conversation up again, I didn't receive the empathy that I was expected, mm-hmm. and they talked of disowning me, which actually not the first time. I think it's, it's definitely, <laughs> it's a very commonly used method, I would say, to make sure I'm in <laughs> But I felt very alone in that. Yeah. First yeah. of all, I didn't know a lot of other immigrant kids that are going through the same thing. I didn't know this is as common as I thought. I didn't know who to talk to because I know a lot of my friends, even if they're Asian-American, they wouldn't understand. Hmm. So I didn't really call up any. And I was a nobody on TikTok at that time. I had like 20 followers. Hmm. Nobody I know was on TikTok. So for me, that was a private space. I felt like I'm just talking to avoid. So I just literally had a rant session, talk it out loud, posted a video, just never thought about it until like, I checked back and it was just like, went insanely viral and I didn't know what to do.
0: (laughs) And your intention was never for it to go viral, right? As you mentioned, you only had 20 followers. And the way I see it, it sometimes even feeds into how certain societies, I guess American society being one, is prone to minority trauma, right? So, if you were probably sharing your success or a fun story, it probably wouldn't have gone viral versus your emotional outburst. So, that's something that I often think about. But, Thea, yeah, I'm curious if you ever gotten emotional around your parents face to face before this video. Were you ever able to have that conversation with them privately? I did. It was hard. So I rarely
1: ever cry in front of my parents. I think I actually don't cry in front of them. Why do you think that is the case? I felt like as somebody who carried and has that much responsibility on mm. my shoulder, now that my parents were older, I felt the need to appear stronger and get my things together. Yeah. So even when I am struggling mentally or I went going through a tough time at work or with my relationship, they're never the first person I call because I don't want to make them worried I don't want to hmm. in a way I never truly give them the benefit of the doubt to actually like share my vulnerabilities uh-huh. but I remember there was an instinct I I talked to my therapist and I said you know like I'm gonna actually talk to them like heart to heart and it was just the uncomfortability from coming from their side it was just too much. I remember that was the time when I was struggling with my PhD program and I thought of quitting. And I remember asking my mom, like, I'm not doing so well mentally. I'm not sure if I can finish this. Like, what do you think about me quitting? <laughs> and she said, go to sleep, eat some food. You'll feel better tomorrow. It's like something like that. And she was like, immediately changed the topic. She's not very comfortable with my emotion. But regarding my sister, like, we had several talks with them about that. I told them I felt pressured about this financial burden. I'm happy to care for her, but at the same time, I would like some changes from behavior on her side, etc. But the youngest always got away with things.
0: So it was hard. See, I'm curious, being an immigrant mother, how we as parents can make it safer for our kids to be more open and honest around us so that It isn't really bottled up inside. And we can have these difficult conversations about cultural expectations, values, and priorities. Because at the end of the day, your parents are not villains. You are not a disrespectful kid. There are so many different factors and variables at play that led to that video. And I want our listeners to understand that all of this happens against the backdrop of Societal and cultural conditioning that happens on both sides, right? It absolutely does. And I think that's a really good question that you raised.
1: Honestly, I think growing up with my parents and the struggle I went through, Hmm. I know what their values and what they want to value. Hmm. Number one is family honored, it's the face of the family. And that has always, always been number one with me. Growing up, we could have the biggest fight ever, but then, you know, we cleaned up and we went to church and we're like this happy, giggly family. And I found it to be very, bizarre back in the day. And for me as a children, I found that to be at times bigger than my happiness, what they value my happiness. Not that they don't, Hmm. but what I'm saying is that their priorities on things makes me hesitant to be vulnerable and actually share hmm. because i know that my struggle at times could come at odds with their values right so when i put myself in a perspective of you know a potential parent i think i would want to let my kid know that they are my number one priority and their happiness and their feelings and their emotional well-being is my absolute number one, regardless of the auntie and the uncles and other people from (laughs) outside family
0: things. Right, right. And on the flip side, what do you think immigrant kids are not understanding about their parents' points of view? or their perspective when it comes to communication between them and their expectations of their kids. What's the missing piece? I want to get to know them better, not as parent, but as
1: human being.
0: I love that. Like oh my that gosh. Curiosity.
1: Yeah. Like I don't know my dad, he's an electrician. And my mom, I knew she was an accountant before she became a housewife. But like, was that their dream growing up? Like, what were they like? What were they youth like? I know they had challenging childhood. They don't talk about it, but I never truly know what their hobbies are, what their interests are, what would they want to do differently. And that is something I always regret growing up to build that bond, because I always see them as very close up and like parents that I revere. And I felt like there's always time for that. I'm lucky in a sense that there's time for that. And also empathy, it's something that I'm learning more and more. There's a lot of things that happened in my childhood that when I processed in therapy, it was so hard to even arrive at the word forgiveness. Hmm. But I think the empathy in understanding that they are a result of their times, of their generation, they were pushed into adulthood way too young. Hmm. To actually have that emotional maturity, have that emotional wellness Hmm. to actually aware of things that they do. And I don't blame them because back then it was surviving so that
0: I can thrive. I'm so emotional right now just listening to you say this because it is such an important point. Something that kids often overlook or are not aware of consciously and even beyond generation. I think sometimes we put a lot of emphasis on how different generations have worked through different circumstances. It's more about knowing your parents as individuals with emotions, with expectations, with vulnerability, weaknesses, strengths, failures. And just as humans, as you said, I haven't done that with my parents who are much older and I'm in my 40s and I hope I can sit down with them and have conversations about that so that you have the perspective that you have now. Have you made an effort to know more about your parents post the event or whatever transpired? After I
1: posted the video, I did have a conversation with them because it went against everything that the family wanted. Hmm. You know, they requested the video be taken off, things like that. But there was a whole decision tree why I kept the video continue. Right. But I think we got to a point of our relationship now that they know that me posting, telling my lived experience is going to be a given. We just not talk about it, which works for me. Yeah. I think the struggle in our relationship is still there. I think they secretly still watch my videos. And because of that, I think there is certain vulnerability that they experienced from me that they didn't realize that that existed before I start sharing. Hmm. So it's almost weird in a way that I'm communicating with my parents through TikTok. And they didn't really approach about like, oh, like, I didn't know you felt this way when this happened or things like that. But They ask questions such as, I hope you feel better. And if you do this, you feel better. And my mom started sending me some articles about mental health and things like that. Mm. But I've been really trying to understand. My mom found out earlier this past two months that she wanted to be an artist when she was growing up. Because I made a video about, like, I never knew my parents' dream. And she just texted me, I wanted to be an artist when I was young. It's like, okay. Oh my God. That's gosh. really good. Yeah. So it's kind of weird, but I think it works for our dynamic that it's a conversation, but not kind of directly. It's kind of like an indirect conversation through a social media platform.
0: As long <laughs> as conversation is happening, right? And there's healing going on. And it's such a beautiful relationship. An experience and I'm so glad that that's happening. Something that I'm curious to know about is public's response to this video. What has been surprising about the kind of response that you got?
1: I think what was shocking to the core for me was the realization that I was not alone
0: in the mm-hmm. struggle. Mm-hmm.
1: I think coming from the culture that I am and I'm sure similar with you, Almost talking anything remotely negative about your parents or the family is the biggest taboo ever, Yeah. especially if filial piety is in the conversation, like that's a no-brainer conversation. So I was so shocked that I was not alone in feeling this way because for so long as I could remember that pressure that I felt, I thought it was bad and I felt ashamed that I feel pressured. Because hmm. I felt like everybody else around me did it so effortlessly. Like I know cousins that are taking care of their parents and happy to provide and everything. And I felt like he'd always have this perfect image of him on that journey and I felt like why can't I be that way? Why am I feeling so pressured about this? Mm. But it also shocking that I didn't know this was so similar in other culture besides Asians like Hispanics culture, the African American culture. There's a thing called black tax. It's mm. African American advanced socioeconomically economically, there's that burden of taking care of the whole family. So it was shocking to me that I was not alone in that. But I think the second shock this is something that I guess, in a way, I was just so frustrated at the other side of the interaction. It's like, oh, this is so Asian parents. This is so toxic. Cut them off, run off, things like that. And I see that a lot, you know, live your life, things like that. And I understand the good intention, but that is not how I want my relationship with my family is. And that's not how I'm programmed culturally to do. Right. And I think that is the fabric that American culture truly
0: understands. And it sounds a bit entitled to me that people were making judgments about you and your relationship with your parents after having watched just one video. So I want to expand that conversation a bit because I've been thinking a lot about immigrant trauma and how it is a trope that is often commodified in American society. And I'm not saying that you didn't have a tough upbringing. You absolutely did. And you suffered so much through it. And your parents have a perspective. There was miscommunication between you and your parents. But at the end of the day, it's as if not having a tough upbringing relegates your story below others, right? I look at you. You are such an accomplished biotech professional, someone young for her field. But in all the news thus far, whatever research we did, it centers around your video, right? It's all about you crying and being vulnerable with your personal life. And part of me wishes that these accounts had other salient features of your identity. It acknowledged your accomplishments and the journey that you've had so far and the successes that you've had so far could present a more nuanced account of your relationship with your parents and cultural expectations that are part of Eastern cultures. How have you felt about media's portrayal of this story and interviews you've had thus far?
1: I completely agree with you. It's The media wave has been one of the most challenging things I've dealt with. Hmm. Like you mentioned, a lot of the story was surrounding my sister, what she did, what wrong things did she do, my parents being bad people or Asian culture being toxic and things like that. And I felt like my whole accomplishment is boiled down to that one minute Mm. clip. Like if you Google my name now, that's one of the few things that popped up. It's absolutely is not ideal. I would say I work very hard to get to where I am in my career. And I embark on this journey and continue to post because I want to share this lived experience as well as raising that generational trauma awareness and mental health awareness for immigrant community I wish there was more centered conversations around the cultural challenges of Mm. immigrant and of what things, what obstacles that we have to go through to actually get to where we are or even whatever happens before that one second video. So I'm glad we're discussing Mm. about this now. Thank you for giving me the platform
0: for this. Suthia, you have a mic right now. What else would you want to share with the public that you may have missed in prior interviews or in your TikTok video?
1: Honestly, a lot of my TikTok recently has been my continuing struggle with my mental health, Hmm. which is a big taboo topic within the community. Like Asian Americans are the least likely group to actually seek mental health especially I think broadly for immigrants, we're the least likely group to seek mental health and suicide is still top three death for Asian American. And for me, it's still a struggle. But I guess in a way, I want to use my platform to actually show that you can struggle with your mental health at the same time as trying your best to actually achieve whatever ambitions and goals and Mm. thriving in your life. like That is a struggle, but that is not a struggle that somebody needs to be ashamed of Mm. and really open up that conversations. And secondly, it's just the journey to actually establish a good relationship with your parents I think it's like absolutely essential and I just posted a video about you know me singing and things like that so I honestly felt like the platform is just a creative outlet Hmm. that I never truly paid attention to because I felt like I never had that self-exploration journey that a lot of my American friends was privileged to have I truly never understood what I would like to do what my hobbies are so I've been really excited about this journey
0: I am so glad Thea, that you are in a happy place. I'm so glad that we had this conversation. And in the end, if you were to define America in the context of all that's happened so far and your journey in America, how would you do that? Oh, wow, well, that's a good question.
1: For me, the idea of America, when I was back in Vietnam, felt like a lucid dream. Hmm. It felt like the American dream that would help my family out of poverty and really propel us to a happier place. As of now, and through the struggle over the years, America became almost like a great wall between me and my parents oh. as it infused me with a lot more idealistic perceptions that clashed with the collective cultural Mm. origin that I grew up with but for the future I felt privileged to be here to actually have a platform to actually have a voice to actually have the confidence to share things that I would never ever dream of sharing in a way that freedom is and don't get me wrong, we as a country still have so much to actually work on. Yeah. We still have so much floor, so much trouble. But the mere fact of me as an immigrant coming here, different culture identities, technically on paper, I'm still called a alien.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, uh, a, an- that's a really toxic <laughs> word. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but. I felt myself being an American because this is where I grew up. This is part of my grow up journey. And I'm excited for this freedom. And I'm excited that because of this freedom, I became closer to the culture that I was born in. Mm. And I think it's just a beautiful aspect of the melting pot that is American.
0: On this positive note, we will end our conversation. And it was an absolute pleasure to have you on Immigrantly.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh my gosh, I enjoyed this interview so much. And it gave me a lot of stuff to ponder over, think about, sit with, and maybe have conversation with my kids about what I learned from Thea. This was the last episode of season 14. We are so excited to bring you so many incredible stories in fall. We won't have themes anymore because we want to be able to explore different dimensions of immigrant identity without boxing ourselves in one theme. So send us ideas for upcoming episodes, what you want to hear, conversations that you want us to have on this platform, your platform. This episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by Yudi Lu, and our amazing editor is Manny Simone. Stay on for my conversation about this episode with Yudi. Take care. I'm so glad we are doing this, CD.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Why not try a new thing come fall, a new season? So I also had a fabulous time listening through the Raw interview, since I know Thea's conversation was one that we actually did a bit more prep for, right, Sadia?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking about this as we were prepping for this conversation, that initially I was almost reluctant to do the interview, right? Because I didn't want to partake in all the, I guess, hyperbolic clickbait narrative that was out there.
2: Yeah, I sensed the hesitancy. And I thought that doing a pre-interview just to get on the same page was something that might... Help ease our nerves a bit and also understand where the direction of the conversation could take. And what did you think of that? So, the process of leading to the actual taped interview.
0: I liked it because once I spoke to Thea, I realized that whatever was out there was more of, you know, mainstream media's half truths. And it made a lot more sense to create a more nuanced narrative around what had happened to Thea and her parents, if that makes sense.
2: Absolutely. I think I was less skeptical than you were initially, but even hearing the full 50-minute conversation, I was definitely humbled to realize that what was on social media, what was on Fox, and how those reporters interviewed her, it didn't capture even an ounce of the full story and the full narrative. And it also didn't lend her the full space to share how intelligent and how difficult and just how complicated her past is and how it's informed her present.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I felt I was able to open up about my role as an immigrant parent and connect with her. Although Her parents are not immigrants, Judy. right?
2: Right. So being the script writer, as I was collecting my information, researching Thea, and also listening to the TikTok, as well as the reports and her interviews on other platforms about this TikTok, I assumed erroneously that her parents are immigrants. And that is wrong, as we have come to now realize they still live back in Vietnam, and so never formally made the move overseas. And she is, in fact, first-generation immigrant. And I think that demonstrates how easily we can just fall back into like old patterns and narratives when only pieces of the story are presented to us, because we just kind of group people. And we universal we meaning I, and that was a learning lesson. So that was something we didn't realize until the conversation started happening.
0: Yeah. And it was such a beautiful, vulnerable conversation on both sides. Thea was being so honest about her more nuanced relationship with her parents. And then throughout the interview, I was thinking about my relationship with my kids, but Yudi, your parents are immigrants and you're second gen. What was it like for you listening to that conversation? Were you able to relate to parts of it? What were your initial thoughts?
2: So I'm smiling right now because we had this text dialogue about what is exactly first generation and second generation and all of that. So I would say I'm the 0.5 or even first generation because I was born in China, right? And second generation implies that you were born in America. But, you know, a formality aside, her comment about wanting to know her parents outside of just like the parental role really resonated. Yeah. And I find myself thinking the same of, oh, what were my parents' hobbies? Or if they could travel or move anywhere, what would that dream be like? Things that kind of fall outside of the purview of parenting. Especially in East Asian cultures, I think the relationship between parent and child is more strict or delineated Mm. that way of making sure your child is set for their future. You know, they have these stepping stones. And so there's less room to play around with other aspects of our humanity, which is the creative sides or the in that don't revolve around financial stability Mm -hmm. or professional stability. So that she definitely hit on the nose.
0: You know, it's surprising you say that because that's the part that resonated with me as well. Not just as a parent, but also as a daughter, because I've never asked my parents what their aspirations were and how their life has been. So it's crazy how that particular aspect of Thea's conversation was so powerful Mm -hmm. and something that at least I had never thought about. And as a parent, I feel like I want to expose my kids to my human side. Parents are humans too, but not my parent side, right? I want to be more than a parent. I want them to see my humanity against different Dimensions, something that I am more aware of now. Like embracing, it's not even flaws or just the complexities. And you say you
2: want your kids to see you for the 3D you that you are. Do you have any specific examples, maybe recent, where you tried to do that or like it's demonstrating that you're going in that direction of building a more subtle relationship that way?
0: Yeah, I think I've started to share more information with them Mm -hmm. information that I would have deemed personal Mm
2: -hmm.
0: before and it has its merits but then obviously kids being kids especially when they are younger they tend to be more judgmental around those decisions or those aspects of parents life but I think I would still want to make that effort because I want our communication to be more organic and not as hierarchical as it's been so far. So I'm really excited about that.
2: Yeah, it sounds like effort is being made and that's always the first step. It really does require a paradigm shift, especially if you grew up in a different type of culture.
0: Yeah, something else that I guess we were able to do, Yuri, and I don't know if you agree with this, was to... Create a more nuanced version, which we've already spoken about, but also to not villainize Thea's parents being more strict or less emotional. Tiger moms. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we were able to do that when you were listening to the episode? Yeah, absolutely. And I felt myself feeling compassion towards her
2: parents. And I think that was also Thea's intention of demonstrating it is really complicated, right? And she said there were parts where she wished she was more confrontational or tried to have that conversation further with her parents before resorting to TikTok or Mm -hmm. using these other outlets to express her deep-rooted concerns. And I can't even think of the word to put to that situation because hers was something that you hear in books or stories mm. and you realize here's just someone who did make it right. Look at her. She's mm. this incredibly achieving young woman in venture capital, but there is this other more tender sort she's still figuring out her own traumas and her own family dynamics.
0: Yeah, and to sum it up, I am so glad we did this. And I'm so glad that you were part of this journey because of your personal experiences and the nuance that you brought to the script. And I can't wait for us to explore more stories like this. Yes. And this was fun too, like just having this conversation with you post-interview, getting your thoughts We should be doing this more often as well. I agree.
2: So listeners, check in next time for another behind the scenes conversation between Sadia and one of our content writers. Take care, everyone. Bye.